Hello, friends. Matt here. I'm excited to announce that this week we're starting a new podcast series. After over a year of mentioning the web serial Worm at every possible opportunity, Scott has decided to check it out. We're going to be tracking Scott's read-through of the story as he goes. Uh, Scott, how far did we get this week? We went through Arc 1, which is titled Gestation. Um, I guess, I guess the, the worms, and you're the expert here, but worm is divided into 30 or something arcs, which are yeah. kind of like chapters, um, yeah. but kind of not, because it's like a serial... It's a very different type of series. Um, yeah, I view it almost as what, like the, the term arc I almost view in, as if it were television. And a given arc is sort of a given uh, act structure sequence that, that takes the characters to a new place. And then, you know, it, it has its own internal logic. And then you move on to the next arc. And so there's about 31, almost view them as, as really short TV seasons. There's about 31 little little seasons. And it's, it's all the same story. And it's a web serial. So it was written, you know, one one installment at a time over over quite a quite a long period of time and it's quite a lot of uh of uh, words to get through actually but we're gonna make a stab at it or i should say scott's gonna make a stab at it because he's <laughs> the one who's gonna be reading it and uh the plan right now I, I believe is we're gonna be doing one podcast per some number of arcs right, right now we're just covering the first arc because it's the first podcast and we're finding our legs in the future we may do two or three arcs per podcast depending on uh the density of the arcs and, and kind of what we find to be appropriate. But um, all in all, that that's that's the plan right now. And I'm really excited about this because I'm kind of a crazy super fan for, for Worm and for um, everything that Wildbo, the, the author does. His, his pseudonym is Wildbo. His real name is John McRae. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm pretty convinced that, that that will actually be a household name at some point in the future. Um, but right now he's he's focusing on these web serials that are kind of gaining in popularity and and he he says that he's been in talks with people who are trying to adapt his works to to tv and stuff like that so um it, it'll be neat to see to see where where he manages to go because i i am a big fan of all of his work and uh and uh, this podcast will hopefully explain why that is. <laughs> yeah, so Matt, um, my my vision for this whole thing was that if you've read Worm before, um, you there will be something to get out of this. Um, obviously, just listening to people talk about it, if you like the series, would be entertaining. But also, um, people could kind of come from your perspective where they're revisiting this thing a, a second time and looking at it, knowing things about the future. Um, but there's also people I think like me that could also get something out of this podcast, um, that have never read the thing before, um, have never maybe even heard of it until the two of us started talking about it, um, and, and want to dive in and follow along as we go through it. Um, so I think there's something for everyone here. Um, I hope, I hope that's our, that's our goal. Yeah, and to add to that, I I intend on really trying to minimize uh, spoilers because obviously I know everything that happens. But my goal is to not give any spoilers and to really not ask too many leading questions or or give any clever clever hints. You know, like it it's, it goes against my nature uh, to to uh, to avoid giving clever hints. Believe me, but I want people to be able to listen to this and um and enjoy it. Uh, even if they haven't read the series and, and not be worried that they're going to be spoiled on something. 
Great. So w- with that in mind, could you give the people like me that might be visiting this for the first time or just hearing about this now and deciding whether they want to go read it or not, um, a, a, like a 5,000 foot level um, what of what worm is? Yeah. Um, so not, not to get into too much detail, but basically it's, it's, uh, it's the story of a high school aged girl named Taylor who manifests superpowers in a world that is um, a very realistic version of, of kind of a superhero world. So it's, it's like a lot more like our world with superheroes introduced into it rather than something like the DC universe or the Marvel universe where it's just really different and, and incoherent. Um, the worm universe is very coherent and, and everything makes sense. And we're obviously going to be getting into that. Um, there's, it basically tracks the development of, of Taylor uh, as she faces different challenges and has to deal with a lot of the, the gray morality of, of the world that she finds herself in where many of the superheroes are not quite as heroic as you would think. And many of the supervillains are not quite as bad as you would think. And uh, she, she often finds herself um, having to make difficult decisions and, it really is a very character-focused story. Uh, I think I think we'll see that just as we discuss this first arc today. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And from my perspective, I know Matt's coming in as expert guy because my kind of role is to come in as novice. I am intentionally not going to be reading ahead as we do this. I'm intentionally not going to be reading anything about the series at all. Um, so. I will not read. I think the only thing the only thing I've read about the series, Matt, is the review that you wrote for it on our website years years ago. Is it years now? Yeah, um, probably yeah. yeah, a year and a half or so. so I, yeah. I copy edited that review, so that's the most I had read about the series. Um, and then, of course, anything I gleaned from just knowing you as a person <laughs> for right. the last few years, because uh, you you talk about this series quite a bit. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know what's funny is I've always wanted you to read it and so i've always intentionally held back from telling you real plot details so i think you're okay yeah i mean i had no idea what to expect going into this thing um and spoilers um i i quite enjoyed this first arc um i i think we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast if i didn't like it um because i don't think it would be uh, very entertaining to listen to a person shit all over something for 30 some episodes but um <laughs> no i i was i'm not gonna say pleasantly surprised because i kind of i i know what your kind of narrative style is and i know that if you like something it's probably going to have some merit to it but um it, it was very well done it was i mean this serves as basically the introduction to this massive world and it was it was a well done introduction i thought yeah uh, you think we should uh, get into the um, kind of going through the arc one and, and talking about it as we go? Let's do it. All right. So we start arc one gestation. Uh, we're introduced to Taylor Hebert, and she's a high school age girl. She's our protagonist, and uh, she's in a classroom discussion in a, in a in her high school about the social impact of superheroes, which are referred to as capes in in this world. Um, we're immediately made aware that she's the subject of some pretty aggressive bullying, primarily primarily by uh, three other girls, uh, Madison, Sophia, and Emma. And uh, within this chapter, they pour juice all over her while she's sitting in a bathroom stall. And, and then after making fun of her, they leave. And after they leave, we see that 
Taylor herself has a super a superpower that she's kept hidden, and that's the ability to control bugs. Um, she she muses to herself about going carry on the school and attacking the bullies, but we see that this is really just an idle thought, and it's not really in her character because she wants to be a hero, not a villain. So, uh, Scott, what did you think of this as the first chapter of what is really going to be a superhero epic, and and how does it compare with your prior expectations going into this? You know, for for everything that I had heard about this thing from you, um, that it's like a multi-million word epic story, um, this beginning was v- extremely grounded. Um, the the chapter itself, or this section, um, I don't even know <laughs> what to call these things, but um, the it was I think one dot one is what it's technically called, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's not very long in itself, but the entirety of this this section, with the exception of like random references to things called capes, with the, which the chapter intentionally doesn't really explain what are, seems very standard, very typical high school girl dealing with high school girl problems. Um, and I think that's cool because to me, my interpretation is it sets up that the priority of this world is the characters and not this quote unquote superpowers themselves. Um, it is, it, it, we are focused on who this person is and we are going to take the entire first chapter to define who she is as a person before we define who she is as a, uh, future superhero. And I thought that was very clever, um, how they, they kind of doled that out to us emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly what the author is trying to accomplish. And, and it definitely, I, I feel sets up a lot of tension right from the get go, because you're, you're actually really concerned about. Taylor as a, as a person and, and how she's going to deal with this bullying situation and and you barely know her at all but you're already kind of in, invested yeah because there's something you know universal to it I mean I I, th- I don't know if any of us suffered something to the extremeness of of this bullying attempt but um, we've all been in school and we've all had to deal with people being mean to us for seemingly no reason um, and I I really love and we'll get into this later but I really love what her power is. I love the idea of the main character in this superhero epic having a power that like not to be mean, but seems as lame as controlling bugs. Um, yeah, I just, I just love the idea of that because she's intentionally not like super, super powered. Like I think there's an intention in when you're telling a score a story of this potential scope or anything to give your main character your make your main character be one of the most powerful people um and it really it doesn't seem like she is and not only doesn't seem like not powerful but like not the power that like kids would want to like emulate like i i wanted to be spider-man i wanted to be able to climb buildings and slime and uh, swing from swing from them um i would never have said i want to control a spider Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a a power that lends itself almost to like a cowardly style of combat because she, like her body is no stronger than an average person. So, so her body is like, is, is, you know, just a fragile, normal, normal person's body. Um, and obviously we're going to get into, into the details of combat later, but this is one of my favorite parts about worm is, is that like the limitations of a power are usually more interesting than, you know, the, the power of, of a power because, uh, that it's 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 more about how things play off each other and also how the characters deal with um, you know clever ways of using what what seems like a weak power um, yeah so that's it i think it's great that all of this comes across in literally the first chapter 
awesome yeah and one more thing i want to just draw attention to before we move on that i appreciated was how the idea of the power is uh brought up because like just the prose in describing like she uh is under a lot of stress she's like really angry and like there's the buzzing in the back of her mind and how like suddenly she can see millions of pieces of information and you still don't even know what that means. And I actually had to stop reading and and go back and see if I missed something in that explanation. I hadn't read to the part where suddenly there are bugs everywhere yet. Um, And I think it's just, it's just a really cool way of like presenting this power is you present it technically first and then expand it out to, Oh, what it means is she's controlling bugs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and I think that's an important part of her power to mention right off the bat is that she's not just controlling them, but she's sensing everything they sense. So right. if, if she has a, a thousand bugs in the room with her, she's sensing everything a thousand bugs are sensing. So that that in, that in and of itself has obvious uh, or perhaps not so obvious, but it, it has um, utility. Yeah. And then I, I, I know I said last thing, but I'm going to say one more <laughs> thing. Um, the the idea of her going carry that you mentioned um and like flipping out and wanting to destroy the school i think that's a really good way of quickly and simply defining who she is as a person at least at least a, a base level expectation of who she is as a person because um it, she wants to be that hero and she knows as much as she wants to do it that behaving in a, in a way that would punish the people that you want to punish doesn't follow through that. And that's made very explicitly clear right off the bat, very succinctly. Um, and we know who she is. I, I really enjoyed this section alone. I, I felt like I knew who she is. Um, and yeah. that's, it, it was cleverly done. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Um, it, and it sort of nods at the elephant in the room, which is like, well, she has superpowers. Why doesn't she just attack the bullies? And it's like, well, for pragmatic reasons that make sense it's, especially yeah. especially with a superpower like hers where you could get away with just fucking with them a lot too yeah like i mean she could just have like bees sting them all the time <laughs> and like just like one every hour or something and be like yeah well that's weird i mean no one would like go back on her like it'd be very easy to really mess with these girls um yeah. and she chooses not to do that and that's important yeah definitely all right um, so we'll move forward to the next chapter. I'm just going to call them chapters. We'll, we'll call the subsections chapters and we'll call the, the arcs arcs. That makes sense. Yeah. So in the next section, we learned that the bully, Emma, who sort of seems like the head bully, I think, uh, used to be Taylor's best friend. Um, and that Taylor doesn't understand, actually, and doesn't know why Emma turned on her. Um, so And that's just kind of left there as as a mystery for now. Taylor goes home then and continues building her superhero costume. And what she's doing is she's directing spiders to weave the costume out of spider silk, basically, because she, she knows from a, from TV that spider silk is, is highly durable, which is, of course, true in real life. And we, we also kind of see her thought process of uh, thinking through the details of how to keep the spiders alive and, and multiplying um, while they're working for her. And I think this is all a very cool image, actually, of her little secret factory of spiders working on a spider silk uh, costume for her. Uh, did you have anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a pretty short, kind of uneventful chapter. I mean, it's just more background. Nothing really happens. I, 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 the the Emma being her best friend thing is obviously a setup for sometime later in the story. I, I'm hoping that'll pay off in some way, or else it just feels really weird and out of place. But we'll see. Um, 
I, I, I am with you that I love the image of her like using these spiders to create her costume. And I love the detail. Um, and I think that's something that through this entire arc, and I, I'm guessing the entire series is the amount of detail that goes into explaining uh, who these people are and what they do superpower wise is really fun. Like the, I, I love the idea of her literally breeding this colony of, uh, were they black widows? I think, um, yeah, I think cause, so. cause they were the best at spider silk, but there wasn't too many of them in the area. So she bred them and fed them with other bugs and like dispersed them and has to be very smart and careful how she manages and controls the population. Um, it's, it, it's, it's little detail stuff and it doesn't matter. Like, I don't think for the overall arc of the arc, um, these little details, but they just, they just help build the world and show that this is not fantasy kind of, of superhero stuff. This is going to be very technical and detailed and uh, that's cool. I like it. Yeah. I think the word fun is, is great actually, because worm, worm is a lot of things, but, uh, fun is definitely one of them. And that's something I, I think I sometimes leave out of mentioning when I'm telling people about it. Cause it's, it's it kind of ineffable, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's so textured that you just, you're just enjoying the hell out of it as you're going. Yeah. And, and to be honest, man, I don't, I don't want to say this to insult you, but <laughs> it, it doesn't, it's not meant that way at all. But when you first told me about the series, um, I've read a lot of other books that you've recommended and, and you're very into that kind of, extremely high intelligence type of science fiction. Um, like I think, I think blind sight is a perfect example of that. And Uh some of the Neil Stevenson books as well, where it's like very high sci-fi and it's like, I I think when I read blind sight, I had to like reread multiple chapters (laughs) over and over (laughs) again, just to make sure I was getting the information because it's, it's, I mean, it's very smart and it's very detailed and that stuff. So I was kind of expecting this to be the same way as that. And it's really not, um, and not to say it's not smart. I just think the way that the information is, is transmitted is, I guess, user friendly would be the phrase. Yeah. Um, I would almost say that he's writing in a young adult, style and yeah. i hope i hope that he if he's listening i hope he doesn't take that as an insult because what it really means is is like you just said it's it's um it, it's written to be readable and understandable and and nothing is really tripping you up the information is being passed to you in kind of the most logical way and um and, and the ideas are being doled out at a reasonable pace and then yeah I, I agree yeah it's it's accessible yeah, and and I think maybe there's a a connotation that accessibility means not quality, and I don't think that's true at all. Um, I think the popularity of of some of the most popular fiction in our world says that's not true. Um, right. So. Right. Exactly. Okay. So moving on to the next chapter, Taylor dons her costume that she's been building, and she heads out into the night for her first taste of superhero work. Here we're introduced to the city of Brockton Bay, uh, which is itself a big piece of of texture and setting. Uh, It seems like a pretty unsafe and unpleasant place. She passes by the futuristic PRT headquarters, which is like a floating fortress surrounded by a force field. But everything else seems very mundane. There's an upscale sort of commercial district called the Boardwalk. And she passes into a dilapidated area called the Docks which really just sounds like any city docks in any, any American city. Uh, and she's looking for trouble. Um, 
did you what do you feel did you did you like notice enough going on here that you kind of have a sense of Brockton Bay at this point or is it not quite developed enough at this point in time I, I think so I mean I think it's very intentionally built to look like in every city with the exception of this floating fortress um that it could be relatable I mean I I live in a place in my city where I'm really right on the edge of an area that has been gentrified and an area that is pre-gentrification we'll call it that uh-huh, um yeah. so i mean i definitely relate to this this idea that you go down one street and uh, that's where all the rich people hang out and then it's literally the next street over and suddenly it becomes a completely different city so um i think that's that's a, a really nice little detailed touch that makes it seem real despite the, the floating fortress <laughs> that's in the middle of it um which is is your your twist of something weird here so i think I have a pretty good understanding of, of what the city is. And I think to me, it's supposed to be like that. It's, it's supposed to be kind of any town USA. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, so uh, as she's moving through the, the, the dilapidated area, she stumbles across a group of ABB gang members uh, and she's overhearing them and, and then their leader is with them. She knows who, the leader is because uh, he's been on the news. He's been in the news. I should say his name is Lung. And from, from her thoughts, he seems like a pretty powerful super villain, uh, super villain. Um, and basically Taylor knows some things about his power. She knows that he tends to become more durable and, and sort of transforms into something the longer he fights and that he can control fire. But I, I actually quoted something here because I thought it was, it was interesting and worth pointing out. So she's thinking to herself, as for his powers, I only knew that I could, I only knew what I could scrounge up online and there were no guarantees there. I mean, for all I knew, he could have misled people about what his powers did. He could have a power that he was keeping up his sleeve for an emergency, or he could have even, he could even have a a very subtle power that people couldn't see at work. And I I think that's great because it's a, it's a taste of how, it pays to think about superhero uh, about superpowers in this story where you know you don't necessarily know what your opponent's powers are and and even just just knowing what their powers are and keeping some details of how your power works a secret can be instrumental so this all kind of plays into how the the superpower fights very rarely just look like punching um they're usually this sort of like chess game of of knowledge and um and secrets and and tricks and stuff like that yeah, and it's realistic, right? I mean, because mm-hmm. in the real world, there aren't comic books that tell everyone what every single person does. Um, and, and the only reason everyone knows what Superman does is because the comic book says so. Um, who the hell knows all what Superman's powers are? And and why why would you reveal, show your hand like that? So yeah. I, I, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's another little touch of detail that adds texture to the world. Um, and... and makes it so we're living in a version of our world that's just slightly different because we have these these super powered people it's it's not it's not a deconstruction or not yet i don't know it could become but it's not a deconstruction of what comic book superheroes are but it's just let's say what would happen if that person existed in our reality yeah like if if you actually had this power what kinds of things would you be forced to think about yeah yeah so um so Taylor is is listening in and she climbs up the roof of a building I think via the fire escape uh and she's and she overhears Lung say to his gang members 
that that they're going to go kill children and this makes her very worried very quickly and she thinks about leaving the, the scene to go tell the authorities that Lung and his gang are going to go kill children but she decides really really quickly that she's just going to go ahead and attack them instead and stop this from happening uh, so Scott what did you think about this level of aggression that we're seeing from Taylor yeah I mean I I kind of felt like on the one hand it does seem rather aggressive for a person first night on the job, but I, I kind of feel like Taylor at this point is itching, like went out with the intention of like starting something. So um, anything she was going to get into this night, it was probably going to end up in a fight. Um, but also, I mean, I think the idea of um, her thinking rashly because she hears the word children um, and thinks that they're going to kill children without really having any other idea of what's going on kind of makes sense for someone who's very, very new at this. Um, She, she acts recklessly and rashly and doesn't really think things through and just attacks. Um, So, I mean, it, it makes sense to me. I was, I was a little surprised at, and and maybe it's just um, what we learn more about it later that you're coming off of this, but that you, you, picked up on this as something surprising um it it was i remember it being surprising to me the first time uh the first time i read the story um that 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 i was like you know this is the only unrealistic touch to me is is how kind of trigger happy um taylor specifically is um um so i wanted to put a pin in this for now um and and maybe just keep an eye on paying attention to Taylor's level of aggression going forward, just as like a running theme. Um, and, and, and see, see, uh, see what we, what we think in the future. Sounds good. Yeah. So this, so, so Taylor attacks, she attacks with her bugs and she's, she's actually been gathering them, uh, as, as she goes, she's been kind of every bug that passes kind of near her. She's been kind of gathering up into a swarm. And so she, she attacks all the gang members in the street with her swarm, um, and at this point, we see that controlling bugs is actually pretty good power, especially against mundanes. So, you know, she's using thousands of insects and arachnids to swarm and sting all these gang members and, you know, individually directing the bugs because she can do that to attack individual weak points on on the people and simultaneously sensing everything the bugs are sensing and, you know, sensing it collectively and getting a, a very good gestalt of what's happening. Um, and she even starts to feel sadistic glee in her attack, uh, especially in her attack on Lung, because she really appears to be hurting him. Um, but Lung is also shooting fire in all directions, and and he's rapidly healing from all the damage she's doing as he starts to transform into some kind of monster. Um, so Lung eventually figures out where she is because she makes a noise and, and that you know that's interesting because her power is kind of completely remote so she's just been watching the watching this all play out from the rooftop but she makes a noise he hears where she is because he's turning into like a monster that has enhanced hearing and then he just climbs up the side of the building i think the building across the street and then he jumps across the street to to where she is um i'm going to mention at this point that long or long means dragon in mandarin so his power set begins to make sense in context of his name and i i mean i I think this is kind of funny that at this point it's it's almost like taylor's like oh shit because 
she's like, okay, now there's the superpowered monster standing right next to me, and all I have is bug powers, which don't appear to be hurting him. So she actually pulls out her pepper spray and tries to pepper spray the the monster supervillain, which <laughs> like barely slows him down. But luckily, um, she's rescued at the last second by a giant lizard tiger. I think I think it's described as, and uh, so we, we we basically meet um, this gang of supervillains who subdue um, Lung and introduce themselves to Taylor. And these are the leader, Gru, and Tattletail, Regent, and Bitch are the uh, the other three superheroes, uh, supervillains, sorry. Um, Scott, I don't remember. Do we learn much about what their powers are? And, and in general, how do you feel about uh, this drive-by characterization of these characters? No, we don't. We uh, we know, I guess, what bitch's powers are, and that she has these lizard tigers. Um, but I, I we don't know. Like, is there power to just summon them, or are they part of her? That's all really nebulous. Um, they don't specifically say what Tattletail does either. Although you can kind of tell from context clues that she's either can read minds or sense things, whatever. And also the tat- the name Tattletail kind of leads into that but i think Gru and and regent are described physically but we learn nothing um of them at all other than that and you know i like it because i mean obviously these are going to be characters that play in um are more important as the story goes on and i like the idea that you know i think sometimes in stories you're so anxious to get people caught up on who all your characters are that anytime you introduce a new character, the story kind of stops, it halts, and we then spend a page describing who this person is and how he acts and, in this case, what his power set is. And I like that we're not doing that. It's very natural. It's She met these people. Um, she got some of their names uh, mostly. I think I think they did stop and introduce themselves, but um, she got their names, saw some, what, some of what their powers were, and that's it, really. And I thought yeah. that was... Uh, efficient and made for kind of quick reading yeah and and what's more more relevant is really kind of the information they have to communicate which is that um they they basically get across to her that lung was going to go after them tonight and she realizes that when lung said children he was referring to these guys uh so so what taylor has done instead of saving children was to inadvertently assist one side in a conflict between two supervillain gangs um, so she doesn't feel so good about it anymore. Um, yeah. And it, this is all like, I love, she's kind of, she's really dumb here. And you know, <laughs> this, this whole chapter, I think, you know, I, I was enjoying the book up until this time. Um, but this chapter really cemented it for me as I think, I think this is when I texted you, um, and said something to the effect of, okay, we're doing this. Cause I'm in, <laughs> it was after reading this specific one, because okay. first of all, I really enjoyed how the, the writing around the, the battle was, I, I really liked the details and what it showed and what it didn't show and the potential that's there. But I also like that Taylor doesn't really know what she's doing and she's really in over her head here. Um, and I think the pepper spray is just the perfect way to describe that, um, that, like she just spent two, three pages fighting this guy with like thousands of insects that all do that inject venom and sting and, and bite. And then she's reduced to just spraying him with a can of pepper spray. And it's just like it, it, like she's reduced out of her superhero-ness just to 
a the exactly what a teenage girl in this situation would do. Um, and I just think that's perfect and it's so well done and I liked it so much. Um, and like, I'm in like, that's, that's what I felt here. So, um, and then, and then to, to make her, to, to, to add injury to that is the deus ex machina that saves her here, um, are more guys that completely outclass her and more importantly are also teenagers that seemingly outclass her. And there's all these little touches that like completely like rip her down as a character and it makes maybe it's a little sadistic to say i enjoyed that but um i just it it felt real to me yeah yeah i mean i think that's that's kind of a mature aspect of this is that instead of making her a mary sue where her power is you know invulnerability and flight and, and laser vision she she has this weak power and she continually feels and is one upped by other people and it and you know it it, if she's ever going to become powerful, it's going to be a bitter slog. Um, yeah. So, so the undersiders, which is the name of that gang, spoilers. I don't know if that was, yeah, I don't know if that was revealed yet, but I don't think that's a huge spoiler. It's, it's not, just I, don't, yeah. I don't care. So they, they leave, um, and they leave lung incapacitated and the superhero arms master arrives on the scene of the crime in response to the fight, uh, I guess somebody called him or something. I don't remember exactly. Uh, so we get some flavor via him about the Protectorate, which is the pan-North American superhero league. And he's talking to Taylor. And at first he actually is suspicious that she's a villain because he doesn't know who she is. Because um, why would he? She's, this is the first time she's worn the costume. Um, but she knows who he is. And she even thinks to herself that she used to have a pair of underwear with his logo on them. Uh, she kind of idolizes him a little bit, and he seems like a cross between a star athlete and like a friendly cop in terms of how he's characterized, I think. Um, but he does start kind of trying to manipulate her, or at least Taylor perceives that he's trying to manipulate her uh, so that he can take credit for bringing down Lung um, and kind of downplay her role or kind of pretend she wasn't there in the first place. Um so Scott, do you think this is a fair assessment of Armsmaster's character uh, on Taylor's part or or on my part? And uh, to what degree do you think we might be seeing a biased narrator? Uh, yes and no. I think, you know, Armsmaster to me, I, I really enjoyed this character because I think this character exists in every single superhero story, but it's told very cleverly here. Like the, the he seems like the the goody two shoes guy, like who's the big strong hulking guy that talks very confidently and you know, maybe a little bit of a lower voice. And I think I t- told you in a text message, like kind of the the well meaning like tick type hero who like um, is well meaning is genuine, but also is like super overconfident. Um, and so I don't. I didn't read this as him intentionally trying to manipulate her, um, but I did. I mean, you're right that she definitely did. Um, And I I found it very interesting that this is a character who she apparently looked up to and idolized. um, And then she immediately goes to suspicion and doubt. Um, This is not, in my opinion, how a person would normally react to meeting one of their former idols. Um, And I thought that's very, uh, says something very interesting about, Taylor um what exactly that says I don't know yet but yeah yeah I think that's all that's all valid and and I think that's all meant to be in there um it is it is kind of 
interesting. I mean, for, for the same reason to me that, that it's interesting that she's so aggressive, it's also interesting that she's so suspicious. And I think that's an interesting character introduction for her is that she's she wants to be good and she wants to be a superhero, but her nature is actually to be kind of suspicious and a little bit bloody-minded. Um, yeah, and, and there's there's a lot of... You're absolutely right that there's a lot of conflicting uh, imagery and and wording throughout this entire arc related to that. I mean, she very clearly expresses interest in being a superhero um, consciously, but we're constantly seeing reinforcements on the other side of the coin. I mean, first, she's literally confused as a supervillain because she just helped them. Um you mentioned that she had this this sadistic glee with which she destroyed attacking lung um the uh, the first things that she thinks about is and now she has another excuse to kill the trio it seems like every moment that she's not consciously aware of something she's a little darker than she lets off and i think that's really interesting and and i think it's good writing because we do have a little bit of unreliable narrator here where um, when she is conscious and aware of what she's doing, she's projecting something to us. Um, and when she's not, we're seeing something else. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. So uh, w- one of the other things I, I did want to touch on that something I noticed myself doing as I read these sections, um, you know, I think, and I, again, I haven't read anything about Wild Bo or what he was doing here or his intent here, but it seems to me when you're specifically setting out to make a kind of serialized novel like this, like every one of his chapters um, ends, I'm not going to call it a cliffhanger, but um, ends in a, in a way that kind of makes you want to wait for the next section to come out, which I think I just literally defined what a cliffhanger is. But um, <laughs> I think yeah. that um, specifically in, in the, the, the last section where um, Taylor learns right at the end of the section that, Oh, she was just uh, confused as a supervillain and got herself into this gang conflict. Um, this is something that when you're reading this after it's all done, like I did, and I immediately went on to the next section, um, that fear of being confused as a supervillain is almost immediately dealt with. Like Armsmaster shows up, he's reasonable enough to where she just explains the situation, and he kind of immediately believes her. Um, and that kind of felt unfulfilling to me because it seems like it was set up as a threat and then resolved so quickly. But then I remembered that, you know, it could have been several days or even a week between when these posts were. And that is something that as it's serialized would have marinated with the reader a little bit longer. Um, so I'm going to try as I read this thing to remember that while I'm reading it all at once in these acts, that it was designed to be read chapter by chapter with breaks in between. Um, and I think it's going to be hard, but I'm going to try. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's an interesting point. It's almost like a, uh, an, in, like an intrinsic, uh, or, or a typical problem with this kind of medium is that they are almost always written in kind of a cliffhanger format and worm definitely does this. I'm not going to lie. It, it's that this is the reason why most people who read it, read it, you know, quickly and, and just kind of go insane and like binge read it for like two weeks because that's how long it is. And they're just reading constantly because you kind of can't stop, um, because it has these cliffhangers. And, and as you say, kind of one of the problem of having repeated cliffhangers is that, is that the resolution to the cliffhanger has to come sort of too quickly. Um, 
and, and it, gets, it kind of ends up having a herky-jerky pace. I'm not saying Worm has a herky-jerky pace. I'm just saying that's what tends to happen when you have cliffhangers that are frequent. Um, yeah, and it's, so yeah, it's something to keep in mind, and I guess that's that's one thing that we can talk about as we go forward, see if maybe uh, maybe Wild Bill gets better at this, or, or like you, you maybe you'll perceive it less over time because uh, Wild Bill is becoming a bit more deft at it. Because just for reference, this is kind of the first long form thing that he kind of put out in the world and he i feel that he grew a lot over the course of writing worm partially just due to writing so many words and partially due to um getting feedback in, in real time from all his readers so it'll be interesting to see uh how this particular feature of his writing changes over time i think yeah and i think that's that's super fascinating that that happened i mean i I'm definitely going to be paying attention to that as I go. And I think that's one of the advantages of this kind of format in that he can, you can literally track that change in, in progress. And I think, you know, we've been basically spending this entire episode, you know, giving this section a glowing review. And I think it is very impressive that someone's first attempt at, at writing something like this um, comes off so confident and focused on what, uh, he wants it to be. Um, so it, so it is, it is going to be interesting seeing, you know, how that grows and, and changes over the, the course of this. So that's cool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it in this serialized type of thing. Cause I've never read a, a serialized novel. So, um, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big, uh, I hadn't, that's not true. I had read other things before this, but this thing definitely cemented me as a, as a fan of this medium. Yeah. I wonder, like you mentioned that, you know, people are in talks to him to do adaptations. Um, I, I know there's also, I think you said talks about maybe getting like a fully published book version of this one day. I wonder if there's changes that will need to be made in the structure between these sections in the act of publishing it in a book um, think, that he'll I, have to go back and, and fix some and, and change some stuff around. Yeah, I think there probably is. I mean, I I do know that he's editing um, Worm um, with the intent of releasing it, and and this might be exactly the type of thing that that he's that he has in mind. You know, for example, mashing together some of what we're calling chapters right now to make kind of a longer chapter. Is it because it, the, these chapters all feel shorter than you, what you might find in a, you know. Game of Thrones yeah. or something like that. I mean, I think the entire first arc, and I know you said that they get longer as we go, but this entire first arc feels like it could be a chapter and yeah. it would work functionally yeah. divided like that. So I agree. Yeah, it's, yeah, it could just be a chapter with kind of those paragraph breaks, but yeah. Okay. So the, the, the last, the last chapter of, of the first arc is actually an, an interlude and what interlude means in Worm is a chapter from someone else's point of view, because Taylor is the protagonist. But it's it's really cool, I think, that we get peppered into the story um, a, a bit of narrative from someone else's point of view. So this interlude chapter is from Taylor's father, whose name is Danny. It's from his point of view. And he has heard Taylor leave the house when she went out to go do her superhero thing this this very night so he's staying awake all night watching tv very nervously and waiting for taylor to come home at first he's actually just watching a documentary uh, on tv and, and the chapter actually begins sort of just 
literally transcribing the documentary. And in this documentary, we're introduced to uh, the superhero named Sion. And uh, it is apparent from the documentary that he was the first reported superhero. And he's the most enigmatic and seemingly the most powerful as well. And he's got gold skin and he's naked at first until he gets clothes somehow. And that's not explained either. And he only ever speaks once, which is to give his name. Um, and then we kind of zoom out from the documentary and we learn more about Danny and Taylor's home life. And, uh, and um, what do we learn about Taylor's mom here? I, I don't want to spoil. So I'm asking you. Oh, geez. I'm honestly blanking. <laughs> um, well, think, okay. Geez. Um, that's fine. I know, I know it says she's not in the picture, but I can't remember exactly how. Okay. I'll, oh, I'll... no, 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 wait. He, like, he, like, lost his temper with her or something, and she left. Um, he made a promise that he would never, um, I, I, I can't, I can't remember if it's implied that he actually, like, physically harmed her in any way, um, but it's, it's around his temper. Okay, okay, good. I'm glad I didn't say anything, because... Yeah, but you, you, you'll find out, I think, fairly quickly um, if it's not in this chapter. Um, but but the point being that Taylor's mom is not in the picture at this time. Yeah. So and, and I and I like this. So so really uh, one thing I want to point out overall in, in arc one gestation is that we've had by my reckoning, we've had four chapters of characterization and drama, one chapter of world building, kind of talking about Brockton Bay and two chapters of superhero combat. So it's you know it's a superhero epic but the actual ratio of like character stuff and drama to superhero combat is pretty slanted toward the character stuff actually and i and i love that yeah and i think if you treat this first arc like the pilot of a tv show kind of where the intent is to establish the world and set priorities and start defining themes the fact that it very specifically doubles the amount of superhero combat to characterization to me is intentional in that this is what the focus of our story is going to be. We're going to use these superhero elements as a way to dramatize character conflict, but it's the characters that matter. And I think that was told, you know, just from how the thing started through exactly how much time is devoted to each. I think that's very clever. And, you know, I want to, this interlude (laughs) that... The idea of having an interlude in this is, it's so smart, because one of the big problems with first-person narrative is, if you're going to say, we're going to do a first-person narrative from this character's perspective, then you lose so much else of the world, so to invent a way of doing that, um, like this interlude, naturally, that seems to just fit, just, I think it's just, it's just really clever, and it's really smart. Yeah. Right. It's I think it's the perfect kind of marriage of of a first person um, kind of close perspective story with third person on third person omniscient because you're mostly in one person's head, but you're also getting a lot of flavor and context and, and different perspectives on things which you really couldn't do through just that one person's point of view. Right. And, and I, I agree. This is uh, one of my favorite aspects. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say many of my favorite chapters are, are interlude chapters as we get to know peripheral characters and, and things like that. That's awesome. And I, I want to say how much I marvel at the function of this chapter too. Um, like we're talking a lot of 
narrative and, and character work and things that are um, really kind of uh, subjective. But this chapter does three things that it like, to me, it seems like it intentionally set out to do first, you know, it starts with our exposition dump, which I, I really appreciate how it did that, that we start in this documentary where we think, you know, this is the first interlude chapter. So we, as the readers don't really know what to expect here. Suddenly we're seeing something else from someone else's point of view. We're talking about the first superhero. Um, and then it pulls back from this, um, to this almost like pulling out of a movie. And it's, I wrote down, it feels very, cinematic to me how it like the describe of the almost as if the camera zoomed out of the tv screen um to show just a person watching a tv um i really liked that but so it it gets exposition across um it brings taylor back to um real life because we've just spent a couple chapters with her as not as teenage girl anymore but as superhero and now suddenly with a simple act of her dad is sitting at home worried about her. Suddenly we're back in teenage girl. Um, I thought it does that really smart too. And it sets up another little nagging aspect of Taylor's character, which is her father is someone who has rage issues. Um, and it's another, like to me, we've been seeing this conflict of wants to be a superhero has these really kind of darker traits in her person and her genetic code. Um, so it does all these things like easily and makes them entertaining to read to read so uh i just i just love this chapter i loved it so much yeah it's funny to me because for all the fact that i've been a fan of this series forever i've never really done like a close reading this isn't even really a close reading what we're doing here but it's closer to a close reading than what i've done before And (laughs) and, and and like you say i'm noticing all these things where i'm like whoa he's doing like three different things with this paragraph this is, you know, he's like you said, he's he's characterizing Danny. He's bringing us back into the frame of Taylor as as a vulnerable teenage girl. And he's sort of setting up a potential conflict for the future, because now we know that Danny knows that she snuck out. Um, right. And it's uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And it, it's like I you know me, we talk about exposition in movies a lot and how I hate exposition dumps. This entire chapter is basically one long exposition dump, but it does so in a really entertaining and clever way that Mm -hmm. makes you invested in the information and excited to learn more. And man, I liked it so much. Like I wish like part of me wishes I could have some bad things to say. So it's not just me like saying, holy crap, I liked this so much. But I mean, that's the honest truth is um, I had to stop myself from reading on because I specifically said, you know, I'm not going to read on until I record the podcast and I really, really wanted to. So, um, you know, this, this is, this is really great work. Like it really is. And, and not, not just, not just because I'm a nerdy guy that likes superhero stories. Like this is very well structured and written. And I could tell that just by this first arc. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think as we go forward, you know, the, the fact that it was written in this serialized nature, um, is both inspiring to me, but also gives some perspective because on the one hand, reading Worm actually inspired me so much that I was like, if this guy can write something of this quality at this speed, then I can definitely write something like on my train commute or whatever. I can fit in the time to write if if he can write this much, this good, this fast. Um, but but also there's some there has to be some recognition that 
sometimes, you know, he, he was essentially committed to a schedule for, for much of this. I don't know how much of it exactly, but he's kind of committed to, to putting up chapters. I can't remember if it was two times a week or three times a week. Um, but sometimes life would intervene and he just wouldn't have the time to really polish a chapter quite as much. So eventually we're going to get to the point where, um, you know, we may find a chapter that, that, that you, that we're not going to rave about. And that's fine. I think that's part of, um, part of grappling with something that is in this medium is being able to, um, see those for what they are rather than being like, these are a huge glaring flaw in, in, in this story. It's like, well, no, this is, it's, it's like, uh, somebody misses a note in a live performance. You don't judge them quite as harshly as if they miss a note on a recording. And this is a lot closer to a live performance, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as much as that's exciting to me, you know, I'd be lying if I said I'm not a little nervous about it too, because I mean, this thing is long. Um, I don't even really have a good grasp on how long it is exactly. Like I can look at this table of contents and see 30 arcs, but that, that really doesn't mean anything to me because I don't know, you know, how long each little sub chapter is and all that. Um, but I, I've, I read your review of it and I know just how lengthy it is. And I worry that, you know, without someone sitting down and editing everything that someone writes is, is there going to get to be a point where it feels like things are just going on for too long? Um, and, and that, if I had to be said, if I had to say one thing I was very surprised about with this first section is it, none of this felt like that. None of this felt like it needed an, an editor's pass to come in and chop it down to the essentials. It felt, felt very, um, uh, efficient and every scene had function in some way and it, it didn't feel like superfluous or anything like that. So, um, I, I hope that continues and I don't know. I mean, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, what I can say is different people react to worm differently. Some people have criticisms of some parts that I don't like they'll just be like, Oh, this whole part, I don't like this whole part. And, and, and I'm like, well, I, I did like that part. So, so it really comes down to the individual. And what I, what I can say is that I've, I don't think I've ever seen anyone like just give up on it. But like, I think every, everyone who starts it finishes it almost, which is kind of a crazy thing to say considering how long it is. Um, but, uh, you know, frequent podcast guests, Michael, and and Daniel have actually both read Worm, so we may have them on as guests at some point. That if, would be if fun. They want. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, I, I'm then, I am excited, Matt, to bring this whole thing full circle. I'm excited to go on this journey. I think I am so busy that having a podcast like this to keep me honest with reading these sections each week um, is going to do great for me. So I I'm very much looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. I, I love any opportunity to talk about this stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's all we had to say about Arc One Gestation, and um, yeah, I think that's it. Um, so, so this is going to be. I, I don't know if we can commit to a, a firm schedule of how often these are going to be out, but we will try to settle in on that as as we kind of hone in on what exactly we're doing with this podcast series. Um, so, so Scott, uh, where can you be found on the internet? I can be found on Twitter 
uh, at scottdaily85, that's D-A-L-Y. And also you can see any of my writing about films and the other podcasts we do at dailyplanetfilms.com. Yeah, and uh, I can be found at Mail on Twitter, and I also write for Daily Planet Films. Um, if you want to be kept in the loop on this podcast, just go ahead and click that little subscribe button for whichever podcasting platform you prefer, and you you will be fed our other podcast ventures not just the worm podcast and we do hope that you listen to those and enjoy them but if you don't want to maybe just skip over them and listen to the worm podcast if that's your bag either way we're happy to have listeners and we're happy to have feedback Um, you can leave comments on our website Um, you can email us you can tweet at us and we will respond we will we will respond to you on the podcast in fact if if you uh if you have something uh relevant for us to talk about uh, yeah. yeah. And, and there's one thing I'll say, um, you know, if this if this thing gets popular, like, like Matt said, this is going to go on our regular Daily Planet podcast feed as of now, which is filled with um, reviews of movies. We do a weekly movie podcast. We have another podcast on there where we review bad movies and talk about those. Um, but if this thing gets popular enough and you guys want it enough, um, we can put this on a different feed um, and and make sure that those people that want to listen to this can do it, but we need your feedback on that. So um, if, if you listen to this episode and you like it enough that you say, yes, we want more of this, do this. If we get that kind of positive feedback, it'll, it'll help us spur on um, setting a definitive schedule for this thing and getting them out regularly, that kind of thing. So um, whether you're seeing this on Reddit, if you're seeing it on the webpage, email us, like, like Matt said, email us, respond, you know, do all that stuff and, uh, and let us know what you think. And if you have any advice on how to make this better, let, let us know that too. Yeah, absolutely. We are, we are always trying to get better, so please let us know. All right. Uh, then uh, I guess we will uh, see you guys next week. Bye.